All right, I want to talk to you from the subject this morning of two kinds of courage. So we're kind of turning the chapter. We've been in chapter 17 the last three weeks, four weeks. Uh, now we're getting into chapter 18, just kind of walking through the Elijah story. And today in chapter 18, we're going to meet a man named Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is a very common name in scripture. I think there's, if scholars were right by lay, laying it all out for us. There are about 13 different Obadiahs in scripture. And the most common one is the prophet Obadiah. There's a one page letter in, or one, one chapter letter in your Bible by the prophet Obadiah. It's right by the book of Jonah right there. Uh, this is not the same guy, okay? Just, just to clarify, not the same guy. This is just a different Obadiah. I want to read a, a lengthy text. I'm not going to be able to, to uh, go through all the details this morning, but I want to read this story in your hearing, and you just kind of absorb it that way, and we got some few talking points. All right, let's start in verse number 1 of 18, and let's go to the 19th verse. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, in the third year, now this is the third year of this drought, is what it's talking about, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house, and now Obadiah, this is a little parenthesis, the narrator is telling us something about Obadiah right here. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it, so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks, and perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. Now Elijah's not just the kind of guy you want to run into. You know what I'm talking about? He's a powerful man. And Obadiah recognized Elijah and fell on his face and said, is that you, my Lord, Elijah? And he answered him and said, It is I. Go tell your master, Ahab, Elijah is here. So he said, Obadiah says to Elijah, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, He is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or the nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah's here. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's what he's kind of saying. And it shall come to pass as soon as I have gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. And was it not reported to you, my Lord? What I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, isn't it interesting that that that's commented twice in the, in the story, something maybe God wants us to know about Obadiah. And now you're going to say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, 
I will surely present myself to Ahab, to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I want to set up a meeting with you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Make it bread for us, Lord. Speak to us, help us, encourage us, uh, help us to, to be better believers, strengthen our faith as we interact with your word, as with your people, with your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking. Speak clearly and help us to hear clearly. In the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God, we pray. Amen. Amen. Going from the subject of two kinds of courage, I want to talk about five quick things today. Communication, consequences, conflict, confrontation, and courage. It all kind of lays out in the story right here. First of all, communication. Elijah was a man who was in communication with the Lord. Now, not everybody was, obviously. Many had hung up the phone, took it off the hook, put it aside, put it in the dresser somewhere. Many were not speaking to God at all, but Elijah was a man unlike any other because he did what no other man really did. He was in direct communication with the Lord. We referenced it last week. This phrase right here, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, is kind of like the transition point of every story that comes our way so far. It's like Elijah will not go and do what he thinks he ought to do until he first has it confirmed by the word of the Lord. Isn't that important? Well, it's certainly important if you're living in a day like Ahab's day, because in Ahab's day, there are landmines everywhere. There's, there's, there's police searching for you everywhere. They're trying to snuff out anything that has to do with Yahweh worship, with God worship. They're trying to snuff it all out. So Elijah's got to be very careful with where he goes and what he does. So it's very important that he hear the word of the Lord and then respond accordingly. Scripture promises us this. It says the steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. Isn't that good? They're ordered by the Lord. You know what it's like to go to, to the drive-thru and, and put in your order. That you, you put in your request and that's what you hope you get when you get to the driving window. It's an iffy thing around here, isn't it? <laughs> but, but that's what it says about God is that God literally orders our steps. He, he, he commands them, but he will also guide and direct us in the way that we should go. That ought to bring a lot of comfort into our hearts. And it was Elijah's uh, conviction that Unless the Lord said move, he wasn't going to move. He's been at the brook probably, if, if our numbers are right, he's been at the brook for about a year. That's a long time to be in solitude. He's been at the widow's house in Zarephath for some, something like two years. That's a long time to be in an enemy's camp, to be in the enemy's territory. And they're looking for him all over. He knows about this. He, I'm sure he's got friends that come by and visit him and say, hey man, lay low, um, they're, they're out searching, they're in the city today looking for you. You know, and isn't it, isn't it funny that Elijah knows about what they have? He knows about the 450 prophets. He knows about what's going on in Ahab's court, but they can't find him anywhere. They cannot find him anywhere because when he is in the Lord's care, the Lord hides him when he needs to hide him. He'll reveal him when he needs to reveal him. 
Elijah is in direct communication with them. It's always amazing to me. Elijah knew what was going on with them. They couldn't find him, though they searched high and low. And he was literally, literally living right next door to Jezebel's daddy. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he was living right in the city, right beside them, right under their nose. And I'm going to tell you, if God don't want you to see it, you ain't going to see it. That, that shows us something about God protects his people. Amen. I think that's important in this day and hour. Elijah has learned to hear the voice of God. I'm not sure what he did in the mountains of Gilead before he, he moved from there and went to Ahab's court. I'm not sure what he did, but something that he did trained his spiritual ear to hear the word of the Lord. Something that he was learning to do at the brook trained his spiritual ear that he was learning to hear the word of the Lord. But as our brother James teaches us, it is not just enough to hear the word of the Lord. What do we have to do? You need to respond to it positively. Respond to it. Do the word of the Lord. Don't just be hearers. Be doers. So when the Lord says, Elijah, I need you to go to Ahab. Ahab, here I come. That was kind of Elijah's life. The Lord responded. or The Lord said, Ahab responded. Communication is a two-way thing, and, it, and it's something we learn. We learn it in our relationships. We learn it in our marriages. We learn it in, in our work relationships all over the place, but we also need to learn it with God. It doesn't come natural for you because of sin and all the things that's been twisted up in us. It doesn't come natural for you just to be able to communicate with God. You've got to learn to do it, just like you have to learn to talk. We're still learning to talk over here, right? <laughs> we make up our own words, actually, all that kind of stuff. You've got to learn to talk. You've got to learn to hear. You've got to learn to obey. You've got to learn. And, and my mom was a, a master at teaching me that. Thank God for moms and dads who, who learned to teach their kids how to learn, how to learn how to hear, how to learn how to respond, how to learn how to go and how to do and how, how, to, how to obey. And thank God for that kind of thing because that's a foundation that is going to serve you well in your spiritual life but also in all other spheres of life as well. You got to learn to talk to God. We've got a lot of scripture teaching us how to talk to God. The Psalms are, are prayers. Most of them are prayers where people learn to talk to God and it helps form and shape our language. You got to learn to talk to God. And you got to learn to listen. Learn to listen. That, that may be even a harder one right there. Learning to listen. Jesus says this in John 10 My sheep hear my voice. Say that with me. My sheep hear my voice. If you're going to be a sheep, let's learn to hear. Let's learn to hear our shepherd. So this idea of communication, it's, it's talking about building this relationship with God. Now, how do you become this kind of person? Just a couple quick thoughts here. Here's some ways to enhance your communication with God. I'm not sure if Elijah did this. I'm sure he did some of this. But this is some things I've learned through the years and some things I've studied through Scripture. Number one, acknowledge God. Learn to acknowledge God. We, we've covered that passage before. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. It's Proverbs 3, right? Learn to acknowledge God. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you walk into a room and, and somebody says, hello, what are they doing? They're acknowledging your presence. They're dignifying your presence in, the, in their midst, so to speak. Acknowledge. So, so how about when you wake up in the morning? How about instead of, good Lord, it's morning, how about, good morning, Lord? You know, I mean, learn to acknowledge. I mean, when, when, when you get the sleep rubbed out of your eyes and, and you're walking and get up and just, good morning, Lord. Good morning. See, what you're learning, you're training yourself that God is actually with you. 
See, we talk a lot about praying the glory down and praying heaven down, but God has promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He has promised to be with us every step of the way. So I know, I know we get this idea that we pray him down, but what you need to learn to do is wake up and know that he's there. That's, that's a real reality of the new covenant, that God is with us. He is with us in, in his spirit. He, he's, he's there. So waking up and acknowledging him is really important. It's really important to learning to listen and learning to talk. So what do you think about this? Think about, thank God for his blessings. Begin to acknowledge the blessings that God gives you every day from the smallest of things. I mean, from the things we take for granted, like air and walking and legs and our minds and our families. You know, from the big things to the small things, learn to pray about it, learn to thank him about it. Thank him for it. It's important. Learn to acknowledge God. Become more aware of God's presence. Become more. In, in, in fact, I mean, y'all going to think I'm crazy. I'm riding down the road. If y'all ever saw me riding down the road, y'all think I was nuts. Because I am talking away. And I'm the only one in the car. But not really. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've learned to train myself like this and. If it works for you, use it. If not, just pray for me. Riding down the road, I'm talking. I actually look over at the seat beside me, and I just kind of, I, I, it's, it's like I, I, in my mind, I visualize Jesus there. You ain't got to do that, but that's, that's what I do. It just it's, it makes it more real that, that I, I begin to realize that he is actually there with me. Yeah, how you doing this morning? I would tell him jokes, but he already knows the punchline. He doesn't ever laugh, but it's okay. <laughs> Learn to acknowledge God. That's the point. Learn to acknowledge him. Learn to absorb his word. Second thing, absorb his word. His word contains his will. It contains his ways. It contains his voice. And it trains our spiritual ear so that when we're not in front of a Bible, we learn to say, hey, that sounds like him. <laughs> you know, it trains your spiritual ear. And, and here's the neat thing about when you absorb the word. When you're taking in the Bible, don't take it in like you're reading a book, like you're reading Huckleberry Finn or, 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 or some other book. You know, don't, don't just read it like that. Read it, and while you read it, here, here's one of the great privileges a believer has. When you read the Bible, you can actually read the words on the page and talk to the author of the book while you're reading it. That's a great idea. So absorb the word, absorb the spirit as you read the word. I like to do this kind of thing. Lord, what, what did you mean when you wrote that? There's a lot of questions I've got in the Bible like that. You know, a lot of it I don't get at first sight. But what did you mean when you said that to those disciples? What was going on there? Hmm. Absorb his word in whatever way, shape, form, or fashion you can. Third thing about developing communication, learn to practice solitude and silence. Talked a little bit about that at the brook. But learn to train yourself to be still before God. I, got to, I keep going back to my mom, y'all hear that, but, but she had quite an impact on my life, you know what I mean? <laughs> my mama taught me how to be still, which trained me how to sit in God's presence. Now, that may seem like a small thing if you've got a small child, but you know what? We live in an ADD society. We are all overstimulated. At any given moment, we don't have to be in the room. We can pull up our phone and be in California if we want to. And we can be somewhere and zoom over here. We can zoom over here. We can go over there. And we can have five different apps open at one time and talking to ten different people and not even sure who it is. 
And we have, we have trained ourselves not to be, a, to be a people that don't listen. You know what I'm talking about? Technology's trained us like that. That's why, you know, sometimes you got to put that stuff away. My mama taught me how to be still. I mean, they didn't have children's church when I was growing up. Children's church was on the front row. And mama sat on the second row. Mama didn't sit with us. She sat, me and my sister and whoever the friends were, she sat us in front of her. So that, and, and my mama just, I mean, she, she didn't put up with nothing. In church, especially. You know, if you wiggle, bam. Just right, right up, oh, God. You know, I mean, I, 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 you know, took x-rays not too long ago and had concussions all over my head. And, and uh, that was from her. No. <laughs> but she taught me how to be still. You know, and there were times when she would just say, go sit down. Now, was she just trying to get rid of me? Well, maybe sometimes she probably was. But she was teaching me something about life that there are times where you've got to learn to be still. You know, it's important. Our minds are just this racing engine now. Practice solitude and silence. Learn to sit before God. Learn to stand before God. Learn to kneel. Lay before Him. Train yourself. And it, it is not an easy thing to do now. It is not an easy I, I am a doer and not a sitter. Okay, I like to do. I like to do things. And we're busy. Sandy's busy. We're just busy. I mean, you put her in a room and that thing will be clean before she leaves it. It don't matter if it's your house. I can promise you. You, you might get some phone calls now. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we're, we're go, go, go. We want to do things. And, but we've got to learn to be still and know that he's God. That's important. It'll help your communication. Notice the phrase that keeps coming up. Elijah keeps saying this. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. He keeps saying that, doesn't he? Before whom I stand. I, I've been standing in his presence. Ahab, you know why I'm not afraid to stand before you? Because I've been standing before the one who's greater than you. And he's greater than me. And I don't have to fear man because I fear God. And I stand before him. And, and if you want to be a person like Elijah, and a, a person that's anointed in, in great ways to do great things for the kingdom of God, you've got to be a person that learns to stand, sit, or kneel in God's presence and be still before him. And I know we got a lot to say to God, but let me tell you this. What God says to you will be far more important than what you ever say to him. Amen. Learn to practice solitude and silence. And the last is kind of one thing we said about doing Learn to respond in faith to what God says. Because why would he want to talk to somebody who didn't do the last thing that he said? You know, that gets frustrating for us too, doesn't it? Learn to respond in faith ASAP, as soon as you possibly can. What, whatever the directive is, learn to do it. Whether it's a small thing, the small promptings, the big things, the big major life decisions, learn. Obedience is learned again. Learn to respond. Obedience is learned. It doesn't come automatic. It doesn't even come, it doesn't come automatic for me to be obedient to God. I've got to make myself do it. And I don't mean that in a begrudging way, but I mean that I have got to intently choose to do what God tells me to do. We all do. Learn to respond in faith. Communication. So verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass after those days, after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Did you see that right there about that response? Did you see it? Go, Elijah went. Second thing, consequences. 
Let's talk about the consequences. We see the consequences laying out in the story again. Beloved, sin has severe consequences. Ahab's sin, your sin, my sin, we've all tasted that bitter pill, haven't we? Scripture says the wages of sin is death. Now, one, one, one reason we have a hard time absorbing that is because when we think of death, we think of the grave. I'm sure it's talking about that to some degree, but really, when God said to Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of this fruit, the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die, did they drop dead at that moment? Mm-mm. Lived several hundred years after that. What happened? Well, there was a death in their relationship with God. It was a severing. It was a, there was a death in their relationship with Eden and all the good things that Eden provided. There was a death in their relationship with each other. They all of a sudden began to bicker and fight and fuss and said, you're going to blame that in front of me, in front of God, in front of that snake? What you talking about, boy? That, they took that home, I can tell you. Now, that ain't in the Bible, but I'll tell you, that went home with them. I can guarantee you. <laughs> there was a lot of death that came in. Death, and then the death enters into the siblings, and they're fighting. They, they can't get along, and Cain rises up and kill, kills Abel. All of those are the, the, the shades of, of darkness and death that begin to enter into human race. It enters into our life when we choose that. And I think the worst kind of death that happens in a person is the death of themselves. I'm not talking about the grave again. I'm talking about where you don't really realize who you really are. Because sin literally promises life, but it brings death. It has a lot of consequences. Here's the thing about those consequences, though. They may take a little while to come. So we get a little comfortable in our sin when we don't get, you know, when it doesn't happen right away. But though consequences be delayed, I can promise you, I don't have to read the Bible for this. I know this from my own life experiences. Be sure your sins will find you out. They got a way of finding, don't you? Mm-hmm. Now, three plus years of drought. We see that in verse on one. It's the third year, three plus years. Now the consequences are of this particular sin that God has cut off the water. Just cut it, slam off. No rain, no dew until I say is what Elijah said. No rain, no dew. Now, why did God cut off the water? Why was that consequence so severe? Well, Baal was the God of the storm. They, they thought Baal was the God who brought the rain. They thought Baal was the God who brought fertility. So I think he's, God's showing that Baal's not really the one in charge of all that. I am. He's showing that for sure. But I, th- I think there's something a little bit deeper than that. God wants to show his people... A very valuable lesson that's going to hopefully echo throughout the world is that you know how important water is to life. You can't live without it. You know, you can live without food for 30, 40 days. I never tried that. But, you know, you can live without food for a pretty good long time. But they say you can't live without water, but like three to seven days max and, and boom, you're gone. So water is essential to life. God is saying to the people, I am more important than the water. How important is that? Hmm. And then it says the consequences was very severe in Samaria. There was a severe famine in Samaria. Now, what do we know about Samaria this far? Now, we know Samaria shows up in the Jesus story as well. But what do we know about Samaria this far? Who lives in Samaria? Why, why did it get rough in Samaria? 
Maybe more so. Who lives in Samaria? Do we remember? Ahab and Jezebel. That's their capital city, right? They have set up the, the temple for Baal worship. The headquarters for this pagan worship is in Samaria. And it goes out throughout all the land from that place. Ahab and Jezebel live there. That's what's all going on in Samaria. So it really makes sense that the consequences are a little bit more severe right there. Now, when it deals with consequences, the Bible has got a law that it teaches us. It's, it's a real important law. It's called the law of the harvest. You ever heard of that? You probably heard it this way. The law of sowing and reaping. You know what the Bible says about that? Whatever a man sows, what, finish it for me. That will he also reap. Whatever a person sows. What, in other words, whatever you plant, that's what's coming up. We know that to be true in the ground. If you plant tomatoes, seeds, what comes up? Tomatoes. You plant potatoes, potatoes come up, right? If you do all that kind of thing. Same is true in positive and negative behaviors. If, if you plant good stuff, it, it's got a rebound effect. The world says it like this. What goes around comes around. That's, that's a biblical principle, actually. You know, there's another new age thing. I don't like to say it like this, but that's, that's the way they describe karma as well. I don't like to use that terminology because it's pagan. But the idea of what goes around always comes around. Now, that works towards the good. It works towards the positive, And you need to be very active in that. You, you need joy, give joy away. You need peace, give peace away. Make peace with somebody. It has a way of bouncing back to you. It's a kingdom principle. You know? What, 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 you know, I'm not saying just do it selfishly, but just know that whatever you plant, that comes back. It comes back your way. It, here's, here's the other thing. You get what you plant. The harvest is always delayed, but you also get more than you planted. Now, that's great when it's positive. Oh, Lord, help me when it's negative. <laughs> I, 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 the law works both ways, though, now. You plant bad seed, it's coming. We know that, right? I mean, we don't like that, but we know that. And sin is forgiven when you confess, but often, many times, the consequences remain. You know that? We, we do know that. And the only hope we have with these consequences, once it's already producing, is to beg God for His mercy. God, have mercy, please. And then learn to plant good seeds. And maybe that good crop will overtake that bad. All right? So the consequences are delayed. It's taken almost three years for it to get really, really bad. And I want you to notice Ahab's response to these consequences. This guy's quite a character now. It says in the text, the story we just read, the part we just read, it says that Ahab and Obadiah go out and they're looking for grass and water. You see that in, in the story? Remember that? They're looking for grass and water. He's looking for grass when he should be looking for God. That's how off track he is. He's lost the plot. He's, he's totally off train. You know, he's off the track. He, he, the, the train is off the track. Let's say it like that. We'll get it out in a minute. Hey, I'm a professional. Don't, don't try this at home. I got this. All right. <laughs> he, he does what we often do a lot of times. He's looking for a physical solution to a spiritual problem. And he's, he's totally off. And I also see a detail right here that notice the wording. It says he... It seems as if he's going out to look for stuff to provide for his horses. Now, his people are dying. It's three years of famine. It's tough. The widow's got it tough. I mean, it's tough. Everybody, the whole region is blacked out. 
And Ahab is more worried about his horses and livestock than his people. It tells you a little bit about the state of his heart. Hmm. Question about these consequences. What one thing, answer me now. What one thing could Ahab have done to help his situation and to help his people? What, what one thing could Ahab have done? He could have talked to God about it, couldn't he? He could have simply bowed his knee, repented of the sin that he had committed in the generations before him. But, but the story's telling us the harder the circumstances got, the harder Ahab's heart got. You see that happening a lot in life, don't we? Why doesn't he just bow the knee? Why didn't he just say, God, you in? I remember going through a really hard time and it was my fault. It was my fault. And I had to just surrender myself. And I remember riding in my truck and I just remember throwing up my hands and saying that very thing. I give up. You win. You win. And how foolish is it for you to pick a fight that you can't win? That is terrible. I mean, that, that, that's what I did. That's what Ahab does. But why don't we? Why don't we humble ourselves before God, bow the knee, and just say, God, help me. Why do we harden ourselves before the God who made us, the God who loves us, and the God who gave himself for us? Why? Third thing is conflict. Conflict. We get some insight into how bad this conflict gets. It has gotten really bad in this three-year stint. Okay? God versus Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel shows up in this part of the story. We hadn't heard much about her yet. Jezebel is absolute pure evil. I mean, she's got evil intent. She's got evil plans. She's got radical ideas to revolutionize this country. And she's out. Listen to the wording right here. She's out to disrupt, to dismantle, to defund, and to destroy the entire system of what made Israel great. That's what she's after. <laughs> she's out to destroy the entire worship of the God of Israel, the God of the Bible the God of all creation. She's murdered the prophet. Did you see that detail? She's massacred the prophets of God. I'm going to tell you, you may kill the prophet, but you'll never stop the word of the Lord. And it won't happen. She preaches unity and progress while dividing and conquering the people and taking them in the wrong direction. And I want to tell you about this conflict right here now. In Revelation 2, it talks about Jezebel showing up at church in Revelation 2.20, it says, you let that woman Jezebel. Now, her name probably wasn't Jezebel. It was referring back to this story of Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. And the Bible portrays it as a spirit of Jezebel that is trying to control the church. We're going to get more in detail about Jezebel, but this, this woman is evil. This spirit that she carries and it can happen in men and women. The spirit of Jezebel is an evil thing. And presently, it is trying to control our nation. I can promise you. There's a reason why you're hearing all these strong people who are advocating all of these things. And you've got a man who is in charge or supposedly trying to get in charge. And he is fumbly. And all these other people are overpowering him. It's almost like an Ahab Jezebel thing happening right before our eyes. I'm serious. I'm not trying to be slanderous. I'm not trying to be political. It's happening right here, right now. 
And there's manipulation, there's lies, and there's fake news. That's what the spirit of Je Jezebel does. Just uses all these lies to bring all these radical ideas that are absolutely godless and immoral and destructive and will lead us into death. This spirit of Jezebel has the spirit of murder on her. When I say murder, it might, it might take people out. But what they're more inclined to do in our day and age is character assassination, persecution, all that kind of stuff. It's happening right before our eyes, really. This spirit of Jezebel hates God, seeks to destroy those who love him and serve him. And I want to tell you, beloved, the conflict is for real. It's been going on for a long time, but in our day and age, over the last few months, we better realize, just like Elijah had to play times over, the conflict is raging. So it takes us to the confrontation. And I would say, just so happens that Obadiah goes this way, Ahab goes this way, and Obadiah, as he's going this way, runs right into Elijah. That just so happens. That's, a little, that's one of them Kawika dinks, ain't it? <laughs> isn't it funny how when you follow God, there's just all kinds of coincidences that happen, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And somebody said, coincidence is just when God chooses to remain anonymous. <laughs> it just so happens that Elijah and Obadiah run into each other, and, and a meeting is arranged to meet with Ahab. And, and we read some of the details, we read them, some of the details of the conversation that happened between them. Elijah is going to arrange the showdown at Mount Carmel. But listen to the, the confrontation that happens right there in this initial reunion between Ahab and Elijah. Listen to the confrontation. It happened when Ahab saw Elijah. He hates this man. Instead of hating his own behavior and his own ways and all the things he's caused... He literally hates the prophet of God. He hates him. He's looked high and low for him, and he's not looking to have tea. He wants to take this man out. There's no doubt about it. Ahab looks at Elijah, says to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? There's a lot of insight in that one statement right there. Is it you, O troubler of Israel? Now, troubler, the idea is irritator or agitator. Are you the one that's agitating us? Are you the rock in our shoe? Are you the problem? The, the idea, the, here's a picture. It, to, to, to be the troubler is to, is to like, if you were to stick your hand in a tub of water and just swish it all around until that water became turbulent. That's the idea. Are you the one that keeps stirring up all this mess and madness? Now think of the audacity of his statement. Because it tells you that Ahab is totally out of touch with reality. And he tries to flip the script. Everybody say flip the script. Because this is what the enemy does. He tries to flip the script and he wants to call right wrong and wrong right. And he wants to call good evil and evil good. That's what Ahab's doing right here. That's what's happening in our world too now. And the scary part is Ahab really believes this, this is all Elijah's fault. That's the scary part. It's going on in our world today. There's a huge confrontation happening. It's been happening in, in, in almost all of my lifetime. And we lost a lot of ground because of this confrontation. God, the Bible, the church, Christians are seen as enemies of the state in a lot of people in power's eyes. We're seen as enemies. So, so let's separate church and state, which has never been a fundamental idea in our country. Never, ever. Half the people that signed the Declaration of Independence were preachers. <laughs> are you serious? 
God is embedded in all the founding documents of our land and our country and our nation. Separation of church and state is a lie. It was a lie. It was, it was excerpted out of a, a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to, the, uh, to a Baptist association. It has nothing to do with any of our governmental documents. I'm going to tell you where it is found. The government document it is found in is in the Constitution of Russia. That ought to tell you a little bit of something. <laughs> so they say, th these are enemies, so let's separate them out. And let's remove the Bible from the minds of our youth. Let's take it out of school. I, I don't, we don't want it spoken in the public forum. And we're a little slow to this fight because we live in the South. But up in the Northeast and north, Northwest and all that kind of area, man, they, they, there's so much ground that's been lost, it's not even funny. So they paint a picture of the church as part of the long-time problem in America. You hear them talking now, they're saying the church is the one that brought in slavery. and What a bunch of liars, man. And we need to push back like he did against Ahab. Shut up, boy, he ain't telling the truth. I wish somebody would just say that. Problem reason people can't say that is because they're lying about this over here, but they're lying about this over here, so they can't tell him to shut up, but they'll tell them to shut up, and then everybody's got to shut up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> they marginalized Christians, said they're irrelevant. Notice how they portray them on any sitcom, child's cartoon. You notice how they portray Christianity. They say, you're the problem, you're the bigots, you're homophobic, you're racist. You're what's holding us back from progress. I'm going to tell you now. I'm trying to stir you up. If you're not awake to this already, it's time to wake up, really. As a Christian that is going to follow Jesus sincerely, for real, we've got targets on us. You just got to know the, the battle you're walking into. Is Elijah the troublemaker? Well, he spoke the word of the Lord. Because they have a lot of trouble. But who is the troublemaker? Who made the trouble? Ahab made the trouble. He's the real troublemaker. What's the real trouble in Israel? They've turned away from God, right? What's the real trouble in America? Is it the economy? Is it COVID? What's the real trouble in America? Turned away. We've turned away. And the only hope is just, you know, we saw tens of thousands of believers on our TV in Washington, D.C. And you know what the title of that gathering was? The Return. Gets me all going. Get them doodads going on. The return, the return. It's like, let's return back to God. So Ahab brings this big confrontation to Elijah, but Elijah won't stand for it. Elijah pushes back against the lies, against the delusion, against all the deception of Ahab. He pushes back. He said, oh, nobody. No, 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 not today, sir. You ain't going to throw that on me. You are the problem. You are the troublemaker. You and all of your fathers have brought this mess in here. You have forsaken God, and God is not happy. That's what he says. Ahab pushes, I mean, Elijah pushes back. And beloved, if we don't push back, We've got to have wisdom to do it, know how to do it, and do it in the right spirit. But, beloved, if we don't push back in the right way at this particular time in history, life as we know it's going to be way different in 20 years. And Elijah says, y'all meet me on Mount Carmel, and we'll sort this out. <laughs> Let's wrap it up with this. Courage. This is my main thought. These two kinds of courage present themselves in the story. We've got Elijah courage and we've got Obadiah courage. And both types are needed in this fight. 
both types. Now, listen, Elijah courage, it's, it, it's, it captures our attention. Elijah courage is bold, is confident. He's rugged, he's decisive, he's miraculous, he's spectacular, he's confrontational, and boom! I like Elijah, don't you like him? <laughs> it took courage on his first visit to Ahab, without a doubt. But how much more courage is it going to take on this second visit? It's going to take a lot more. Elijah is one of the bravest and strongest men of all of Bible history. We need the Elijahs of God to help us get back on course and thank God for them. But listen to me. Not disparaging Elijah. I love this man. But not everybody's an Elijah. Not everybody's Elijah. Some people are quiet. Now listen. There's another kind of courage that's in the story. There's Elijah courage. It's great. I love it. It preaches well. It's awesome. We need it. But there's another kind of courage that shows us. Obadiah courage. This is interesting now. Think about this. Obadiah, his name means servant of the Lord. And I'm, I'm convinced that this story is only in the Bible because God wanted to honor Obadiah for his service. Because it could have just said, Ahab, Elijah, that's what it said in the, in the first meeting. Elijah went to Ahab. It could have just said Elijah went to Ahab again. It could have just left this man right out because it's kind of details that are not important unless God really wants us to know this guy. And it says this about him. God honors him in this way. There's, if, if you got uh, like a New King James like me, it's got a parenthesis right there. And it says this. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Say that with me. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That's said about a lot of people in the Bible. They feared the Lord. They served the Lord. They honored the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. Said that, that, those kind of, that kind of language is all through. But there's something real important about Obadiah. What was his job? What does it say? What, what was Obadiah's job? Depending on your translation, it says he was the head or the governor of Ahab's house. We would know it in, in political terms as the chief of staff today. Now imagine this. Obadiah is a man who feared the Lord greatly and worked for Ahab. I mean, he was an everyday man in Ahab's presence, talking to Ahab, having everyday conversations, carrying out Ahab's charge to take care of business. Question, is it possible to work for an Ahab and still serve God? Some of y'all better hope so. <laughs> you know, think about that. that that's, now, I don't want to work for Ahab. I, I would, but I'm going to tell you, beloved, you wouldn't want to work for Elijah either. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> He's a fiery dude. Nobody wants, believers really don't want to work in those kind of environments. But think of all the Bible stories that pop in your mind about men like Obadiah who worked for men who were like Ahab. Who comes to mind? Who comes to mind? Anybody? Janice, we got to get them to Sunday school. Y'all know this. Come on. Who's some guys in the Bible who were followers of God, feared God, but they worked for men who absolutely did not? Think about it. We got Joseph. Joseph worked for a man who thought he was God. He wasn't just a bad boss. This dude, his ego was in the clouds. <laughs> What about Daniel? Daniel worked for two or three men that thought they were God. But yet, what, what, what's, what's the testimony that they leave us? 
that yes, you can fear God and still work for Ahab. You see what I'm talking about? Don't mean it's going to be fun. Don't mean it's going to be easy. Obadiah shows us it's possible to work for Ahab and still serve God. Because how's he been serving God through this whole time? Verse 4 says this. For so it was while Jezebel was massacring the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them. 52 caves. So two caves got 50 people living in them. Not for sure how long. It's probably a lengthy time. And he fed them with bread and water. Now where in the world did he get the bread and did he get the water? I want you to see Obadiah's courage right here in the face of all this madness. It's a quiet courage. He's caring for these people most likely out of his own pocket. Certainly at his own risk. Don't you see that? What happens if Ahab or Jezebel gets wind of this? It's the old off with your head thing. You know what I'm saying? There's no doubt. But he's doing all this under Ahab's Radar, if you will. Now, would Elijah do this? Why is Obadiah doing it? You see, we all have different assignments in this kingdom, don't we? Not everybody's going to stand on the mountain and call down fire. Some folks are going to have to take people bread and water in the cave. You tell me who's more important. Especially if you're one of those 50 people in that cave. They're both important, aren't they? Now listen. And Jesus talks a lot about about how the kingdom comes to people when we feed them when they're hungry, when we clothe them when they're in need, when we take them in. You know, Jesus puts a premium on those activities, doesn't he? So you got Elijah who serves God in the supernatural, almost miraculous way. And here you see Obadiah serving God in the, almost the most practical of ways. And which one's more important? Neither. They're both needed, aren't they? They're both needed. We need Obadiah courage. School teachers who go into those environments. Knowing good and well, they've got to watch their step. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's not just something that you're going to get called on and say, hey, just calm that down. They're calling you out, and we got cancel culture, and they will cancel you immediately. School teachers, we've got businessmen and women who have to be very wise how they speak. Unless you don't work here anymore. You've got to think about those things now. Now, you can, be, you can be wide open, go in there gunslinging all you want to. That's probably not going to last long. Lawyers, doctors, good neighbors, moms, dads, teenagers, people who need an Obadiah courage in the face of all this onslaught going on. Believers who are doing the work of the kingdom behind the scenes. Nobody even knows about it. But those 50 people in that one cave over there and those 50 people in that one cave over there, they know a lot about it. That's what's important in it. Taking stands for Christ in the face of opposition. Serving quietly, yet decisively. Now here's where Obadiah has to be careful. Elijah has to be careful of his arrogance. And getting off track that way. Obadiah's got to be careful in his compromise. Because when you live in Babylon and seek to do good in the face of evil, it's hard. It's real hard. So anybody know what, what I'm talking about? Anybody relate to some of that? So we need the Elijahs to correct our course, to help us, to speak to us when we don't want to hear it. We need the Elijahs, no doubt about it. We need the Obadiahs. We need the Obadiahs, men and women who will serve people who need help. Maybe even serving under an Ahab. 
Ahab does not even have a clue how blessed he is to have a man like Obadiah working for him. He doesn't even have a clue. I like Obadiah. Don't you like Obadiah? I like him. He's courageous and wise. I like Elijah. He's courageous and he's got a little different form of wisdom. I like them both. And, and may the Elijahs and the Obadiahs learn to get along in the kingdom because they don't always get along now. I can just tell you. <laughs> God, give us more Elijahs. Give us more Obadiahs. Amen. Amen. And the best thing you can do, you and I, we become encouragers to both as much as we possibly can. Hand out courage. See, encourage. The Bible says to encourage one another. We need more Obadiah courage. We need more Elijah type courage. And we are to be encouragers. You know what that means? That means when you come into contact with me, there ought to be a transaction that happens to, between us that you are stronger and more courageous after you leave my presence than when you came. That I should be able to say things and to help with things and to do things that literally impart courage to your spirit. Close with the advice of Jesus here. As we navigate all these troubled waters, some of the advice of Jesus right here. Jesus says this, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Obadiah is living like that. I send you out as sheep. In the, what, what, what usually happens in that scenario? Whew, that's tough, isn't it? That's a tough one. He doesn't pronounce doom on us. He just says this. He gives the advice right here. He says, therefore, because you are a sheep amongst all these wolves, you're among people that are a lot meaner than you, that do a lot of things you would never even think about doing. You be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Hmm. We need Obadiah. We need Elijah. And we need more courage. Amen. Lord, help us. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this text. Help us.